I'm not speaking of, when I speak of the vine, the, the, the drink that you pour into a cup, I'm talking about the, the eight-second looping video on the internet. And we've all been there before, man. You see a tweet, and it has an eight-second looping video, and you go check it out. You're like, that was interesting. And then you loop it over and over and over again, and then you're like, man, that was amazing. And then you're like, I need more than eight seconds of this. And so you go to look for a broader context, and, and you check out the, the YouTube video from which that vine has, has been plucked. And the next thing you know, you're looking at the YouTube videos that are recommended because of that, that YouTube video that you watched, because of the vine that you watched. And then, all of a sudden, you spent like three hours on YouTube, and your, your, your position in regard to how you view reality is totally skewed. This happened to me recently. There was this, this vine, and it was a, a vine of these choreographed hip-hop dancers. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And I was like, that's amazing. And then I ended up on YouTube, and I was watching all of these, like, Wildebeest Adams choreographed hip-hop dancing videos. And I was like, those are sweet. And I got so drunk on the Internet, man, I was just like, you know what? I bet I could do that. I bet I could do that. And so I was like, I'm going to become a dancer, which is a completely preposterous thing for me to think that I could ever do. Because I was like, I was like all right, now what would it take? And I started to, to look at these moves that were so mesmerizing. And while maybe I could do one move, there is no way that I could put them all together. This may shock you. It's not in the Bible. This is an extra bit of knowledge for you today. One does not simply Beyonce. Like, it takes workouts. <laughs> It takes yoga, it takes some natural giftedness, it takes some rhythm, and to put together that complete package to do what these, these people who practice all the time and are naturally gifted and, and prepare and, and hone their craft to do, man, it, it takes a lot to get to that point. We're kind of in, in, the, in the section today of, of Romans where, where we look at it, and in bite-sized snippets, it seems kind of inspiring. These are, are, are the sections of Romans that, that you find on your scripture-a-day calendars. And when you look at these things by themselves, you think, oh, yeah, I, I should do that. I should add that to my Christ-following following repertoire. This is something that, that I should be about. This is something that I should strive for. And then you zoom out, and, and you start to look at it, and you'd be like, man, Paul is asking us to do some, some really hard things here. And while there's this open invitation for us to be Christ followers, there's a lot of intentionality. There's, there's a lot of practice. And sometimes we, we, we are asked to do things that are just inherently difficult for us to do. And I think none more so in this particular climate that we are in right now than, than, than what Paul asks us to do in Romans 13. Because in Romans 13, Paul gives us some words that I think will elicit in all of us deep feelings and some cynicism. And our, our first response is going to want to be to argue with Paul and say, no, you don't understand where I'm standing right, right now in history. I don't want to do that. But I think that if we can have some emotional maturity today. I think if we can have some intellectual maturity today, I think if we can look at where we are at in the scriptures, where Paul was at in history, where we are at in history, then we can say, yes, these words apply to us. And there can be a word of challenge for us, but there can also be a word of comfort for us. Hear the word of the Lord, difficult words, tough words from Paul 
in chapter 13 of Romans. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And that is the word of the Lord. And it might be hard for us to, to respond in such a way today, but we have to say thanks be to God for that. And so then what do we do with that? Because it's easy for us to be cynical. It's easy for us to be angry. It seems like for the past 15 years in this country, we've almost been divided into two countries. And demographically, there have been a lot of shifts. There have been a lot of shifts in ideas. There have been a lot of shifts in the way that we communicate. There have been, uh, there's been a, a toxicity that's been added to the equation in regard to how we speak to and about the governing authorities who are over us. And so if we were part of the approximately 48% of the people who got outvoted in an election, we would become very angry. We would feel disenfranchised. If we were part of the approximately 51% of people who may have won an election over the last 15 years, then we would feel excited and we would feel ready to go, like we could do whatever we want. But something very interesting, I think, has happened, particularly in this political cycle. To me, to, to, to the way I understand things, we've gone from having two Americas to almost having four Americas. And so even on the right, there has been th this splitting and this fracturing about what the identity should be. And on the left, there's been this splitting and this fracturing on what the identity sh should be. And then you have the people of faith, the Christ followers who are spread over all of those places. So we could get to this very interesting situation where we could go through a democratic process that lasts almost two years. And at the end of the next presidential election, we could have 60 to 75% of the people in this country and maybe even in this room who feel disenfranchised, who feel like there's a person in office who they did not vote for, that they didn't want to vote for, that they don't like, that they don't care for, that, that they don't respect, someone who does not represent their value system. Isn't, isn't that, isn't that kind of crazy? And so that being on the horizon what do we need to do? What should our response be as Christ followers if there's a pretty good chance that we are going to be people who feel disenfranchised? How should we respond to our rulers and to our authorities? Okay, where are we at in Scripture right now? Romans 12, Paul talks about that, that, that our entire lives, the entirety of our lives need to be acts of worship. 
At the end of Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about how we need to do difficult things like, like love our enemies and repay people who do bad for us, repay them with good. Paul continues then this discussion where the overarching question is what does it look like for us as Christ followers to operate in a world, to operate in a world where the things that Jesus calls us to do are not necessarily the first responses of everybody around us. If the people around us, if the culture around us isn't saying, yes, our highest priority should be to worship God, if the culture around us isn't saying, yes, our highest priority should be to love each other and to be people about forgiveness, how do we deal with that? That's what Paul's wrestling with in Romans 12. And now in Romans 13, Paul's saying, for us who are politically or in government disenfranchised, what do we do with that? How do we follow Jesus in that situation? Historically, where are we at? Paul is not a power player. If you are a Christian in the Roman Empire, there there are two things kind of working against you right now. Number one is, is the government itself. The person who was in leadership at this point, he was a man by the name of Nero. And if you know your history, you know that Nero was not a good guy. He would get a lot worse than he was when Paul writes these words in Romans 13. In fact, he would end up being the person who was attributed with both the deaths of Paul and Peter. He was a guy who, who, would, who would open the door for widespread persecution of Christians. He was a guy who was known to live a very indulgent life in every way, shape, or form. This was not a Jesus-loving fellow. This is a person who everything that Paul talks about that, Nero kind of seemed to be the antithesis. That's the, that's the, the, the overarching political situation of Rome that Paul's dealing with. And then secondly, he's having to navigate with that and then also this kind of Jewish political system. We see that in the passion narrative where Jesus comes before Pilate and the Jewish authorities have brought Jesus before Pilate, who's, who's a Roman authority, and, and then Jesus is essentially sent to the cross in that point. That's the world that Paul's living in and that Paul's working in. And then then what does he still tell us to do, though, there? He still tells us to be subject to the governing authorities. And so that's where we're at scripturally. That's where we're at historically. What does that mean for us? What can we take away from this? So, So a couple of things. Number one, I think to the question that Paul is asking of how are we to orient ourselves as Christ followers, I think that this speaks very clearly to the words that Jesus gives us of blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people who can walk with grace and dignity even in the face of adversity. Blessed are the people who can be humble, who do not exalt themselves or their ideas above other people in a way that brings dishonor to the name of Jesus. Or in our current context, we might hear Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he might say, hey, man, don't don't be full of hatred. Don't be full of of vitriol. Let the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart, as it said in the Psalms, be acceptable to the Lord our God, who is our rock and who is our redeemer. We have to be above the fray. We have to shut out the noise. We can't be the ones who are adding to the chaos of a particular situation. 
We need to be the ones who are assured in who our God is, to know that our God is the supreme ruler, that our God does have authority over all things, that our God may at some times choose not to exercise his authority explicitly in the way that we like, but that does not mean that God is not in control. And so our word of comfort can be that, that we can be the ones who can be a calming influence. We can be the ones in, in a country, in a place, even in a church that is ever more fractioning itself, fracturing itself. We can be the ones who can be agents of unity. We can be the ones who open the church doors for people to come in and see what it looks like to be a worshiping body of believers, of people who can remain calm and have discourse and conversations with each other, who don't simply speak out of anger, who do speak from a place of being informed and prayerful and sometimes passionate, but, but not angry. And you know what? That's hard to do. It's hard to put all the pieces of that choreography together. But what Paul's saying is there's a God who's powerful enough to give you the chance to make that happen. And so is Paul saying this? Is Paul asking us, however, to violate our conscience as we are subject to authorities. And I would argue that Paul is not saying that. Because as much as Paul here is saying, be subject to Rome and pay your taxes to Rome and be obedient to the laws of the land, Paul is also taking some jabs here at Caesar. Because what we know about how Caesar viewed himself what we know about how Nero viewed himself and how he was viewed by other people is he was viewed as being a god. That the person who was over Rome was viewed as being the highest authority. And so there are some subversive words here where Paul says, even though I need to be cordial, even though I need to be obedient, even though I need to follow the laws of the land, look, Nero, you ain't all that you think you are. Because when Paul says there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God, he's saying something there. He's saying something there, isn't he? And he's saying, he's saying, Nero, you yourself are not a God. There is one greater than you. And so I will be obedient to you, but I will not worship you. I will not fall prey to the cult of personality. And when it comes to my value system, and when it comes to the things that I feel like I need to do, first and foremost, you know who I'm going to follow? I'm going to follow the Lord God, and I am going to follow Jesus Christ. We see people scripturally and throughout history who have been subject to authorities to an extent until it violates the conscience of their faith. We see women, Jewish women, who were asked to do what in the book of Exodus? They were asked to be a, a, a accompaniment of genocide. They were asked to kill their own sons. And we know that there were women who chose not to do that, namely the mother of Moses. Instead of, of killing her own son, she 
gave him away so that he might live because she valued his life. She valued the fact that he was created by God. In the book of Daniel, we see people who are asked to, to, to bow down to a political authority, and they do not do that, even to the point where they are thrown in dens with lions, where they are thrown in fiery furnaces. And so we see that over and above all else, who are they worshiping? They are worshiping God. There is uh, an indictment here in Romans 13 to say that, you know what? When we look at our political landscape, when we look at our governance, we should be pushing people to not have reins of terror, but to have reins and authority of goodness and of lawfulness and of integrity. And how are we contributing to or taking away from that system? And so we zoom ahead to context that might be a little more familiar to us. And there are two historical figures that I thought of that really kind of embody this. Two people that, that I've studied quite a bit. One is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and one is Martin Luther King Jr. And both of them were in situations where there were people in power who were doing evil and, and horrible things. And when you look at both of those gentlemen, what did they do? Were they lawless? No. Were they, were, they, were they violent? No. Were their words pointed? Yes. But were their words destructive? No. And at the end of the day, what were they willing to do to prove their point, to prove their worship of God? They themselves were willing to be sacrificed. And they weren't Jesus himself, but they certainly walked in a Christ-following manner. We know that the Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke out, went back to Europe, spoke out against what Adolf Hitler was doing, spoke out against the injustices of his time, and died in a concentration camp. We know that, that Martin Luther King Jr. was, 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 was a, a servant of nonviolence, that he himself was arrested over 30 times, that he himself was beaten, that he was threatened, that his family was threatened, that his kids were threatened, that his, his wife was threatened, but he was willing to put himself out there to speak against the government authoritarian tyranny of his day in terms of how people were treated. These men did this out of a love for and a dedication to Christ Jesus. So when we look at ourselves, we look at this hard thing that Paul's asking us to do, this thing of following Jesus Christ even when it's difficult, when we feel like we're swimming upstream, when we feel like everything is against us, when we're not sure what our words will be that will be educated and prayer-filled and spiritual, but at the same time prophetic in the midst of stuff that is going on around us that does not seem to fit the value system of Jesus Christ, I think we have a word of challenge there. And that word of challenge is do it even though it's hard. That's our word of challenge. Do it, even though it's hard, even though you're going to have to put a lot of effort into it, even though you're going to have to be on your knees in prayer a lot, even though you're going to have to be in your word a lot. Continue to do it, even though it's difficult. But secondly, the word of comfort is this, that God is in control, that there is, is no one who is instituted higher than God himself. And so even if the rulers and the principalities and authorities will threaten us, even if they will demean us, even if they will belittle us, even if they will not act 
as the servants of God for good, as Paul says they should, we can know that God is the supreme authority and that God is in control. And so for us in this time of of the year where we think about our own brokenness, where we think about the wholeness that God will usher in, when we think about our sins, when we repent for those things, and when we try to push each other forward knowing that Jesus wants us to do that, let's try to do this in our discourse, in the way that we speak to each other, in the way that we speak about those who are in power. Let us do so as servants of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that you are in control. We thank you, God, that you are are, are a God who has power over all things. And you know what, God, we are going to admit that this world feels increasingly messy and chaotic, and in the midst of that, we pray that you will be our anchor. And as you are our anchor, God, help us to be the church as you have called the church to be. And as Christ followers, even if we may be in an increasing minority, let us be people who can be an anchor for our neighborhoods, for our cities, for our states, for our country, and even for this world. Help us to know how to speak truth to power in a way that brings glory to your name. Help us to be people who will humble ourselves. Help us to be people who will follow the law and to value order as you value order. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.